The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hour, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Lloyd, today I'm very excited to welcome back Rebecca Harold. She is an amazing woman, and I want to tell you a little bit about her background, but she's been on our show so many times, and every time she's just more brilliant and has incredible insights to share with us. And let me tell you a little bit about her background, if you haven't heard her bef- about her before. Rebecca is CEO of the consultancy Rebecca Harold LLC, a a.k.a. The Privacy Professor. She founded her organization back in 2004, and she's also the founder in 2014 of Symbus LLC Information Security, Privacy, and Compliance Cloud Services. She has over 25 years of systems, engineering, information security, privacy, and compliance experience. And she's authored 19 books to date. And oh my goodness, she's written dozens of articles, hundreds of articles actually, and dozens of chapters and books in other people's books. So she is just a prolific. And what's exciting about her is we have very few really top females in cybersecurity. And Rebecca is, boy, she's right up at the top. And as a matter of fact, she was named a top female fighting cybersecurity in the 2019 book, Woman No Cyber. And so she also serves as an IT, which is information security, privacy, and compliance expert witness for a bunch of cases dealing with these issues all over the country. So we're so, I could talk hours about all of her background, but I am just going to refer you to our website at privacypiracy.org where we have her long bio. And also you can go to her own at Rebecca Harold, that's R-E-B-E-C-C-A-H-E-R-O-L-D.com and privacyguidance.com. Thank you so much for joining us again, Rebecca. We're just always thrilled to have you. Oh, well, thank you so much, Mari. I always love speaking with you, and thank you for such a generous and nice uh, introduction. I really appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you too. So let's talk about removing digital blinders to increase cybersecurity and privacy effectiveness. And what do you mean by that? Yes. Well, you know, over the years, especially the past 10, maybe 12 years, the amount of data 
that is being generated has just grown exponentially um, every year because we have more types of technology. We have more people with their own devices that they are carrying with them. And most of the people in organizations, they, they're focused on the um, systems and networks and devices that their, their organization owns, which they need to be, of course, but they don't really account for or have insight into all of the other devices that their employees wear into their business environments or bring into them. Or when, you know, they're outside of their business facilities doing work, and of course we have so many mobile workers now, people are working in hotels and airports uh, in restaurants and they're using their devices and while they're using these devices there's a lot of people around them with devices that are also <laughs> there listening or taking that data from the wireless public uh, networks that they happen to be on so i've been talking to a lot of executives actually throughout the world saying we need to have you do a better job to understand where all of your data is actually at because so many times this data is being taken and you don't know what, you know, how it got out into the wild, into the dark web. And so you need to have much better insights on where all of that data is. Right. And they're connected so often to, you know, the intranet, right? And they're mm-hmm. also connected to, you know, if they're sitting at a Starbucks, that's a little yeah. bit worrisome, right? I mean, what kind of a security is there on their own computers and on their own laptops and their mm-hmm. PDAs, whatever it is that they're carrying, that's, that's a big concern. So what types yeah. of data within business environments are really overlooked? Oh, well... You know, there's a, there's quite a lot, and there's so much data being uh, created. So we're we're creating data on the same types of devices. First of all, to think about right. that we've been using for decades. I mean, we're still using um, our our mainframes. We're still using our servers that we did for decades, but. We are also now using so many mobile types of devices and IoT devices. And these devices that people are using is just um, increasing dramatically. Like right now, there are around 17 billion connected devices worldwide, connected meaning they're networked in some way. And they're creating approximately 147 million bytes per day per device. So you have added to that all of these other types of devices, and it's projected that we're going to have 1 trillion devices by 2035. So where where organizations are losing insight are in places such as, first, when you think about archiving data or making backups of data. Right. These are very vulnerable areas because so many times the the backups that are made by the company itself are not sufficiently secured or it's outsourced to another organization 
And so you don't know who all has access to your backups. But not only that, think of people using now. It's become common practice now for organizations to allow their employees to use their own personal devices. So just think, when people are using their own personal devices, so many people now automatically back up all of the data from their personal devices when they're using them up to a cloud somewhere. It's either to Google Cloud or to Apple Cloud or, you know, some other cloud. So just think about that. Their devices, if it contains your company's, your organization's data, all of a sudden your data has been taken from your employees' personally owned devices and backed up into their own clouds. So if you have 10,000 employees and maybe 8,000 of them have data on their own devices and they're backing them up to their own various backup clouds, you've lost complete control of that data. And not only have you lost control of it, you don't even know where that data is. So, you know, that is something that is uh, a huge area where it's often overlooked, where all of these backups and archived uh, devices are. And then I would say one more area where insight is lost by organizations is the fact that so much outsourcing is done now, which can be very beneficial to organizations, of course, but those organizations you outsource to, oftentimes, where are their backups? app who are they sharing their data with you know that is not well known and it's not documented and then so many of those vendors that you hire have outsourced yet more activities to their own contracted entities so supply chain um, managing the data flows through the supply chain is and through the vendors of ecosystem is another area where there's so many overlooked areas for where really sensitive data and personal data uh, is just being lost. So that's where so many breaches could be occurring and you don't even know it. And and I think the other scary thing is that sometimes these these vendors who are doing backups for you are not even in this mm-hmm. country. And so mm-hmm. you don't even have laws that are protecting you. And so if you lose it, you know, if if they lose the data or if you lose the data, how how soon can you get it back from these people if they have a problem? So, you know, I yeah. mean, it's just overwhelming for businesses, isn't it? It is. And, you know, a lot of times they try to address that issue that you mentioned with their contract. And, of course, you have to have contractual requirements for security and privacy. But just think when that happens, and let's say you've outsourced to India or to the Philippines or to Mexico or someplace else, it's it becomes harder to actually then um, fulfill the requirements of those contracts, right? I mean, you're a lawyer. Yeah. You know how it is when you start dealing with international lawsuits and right. cases. <laughs> and and so, so that brings problems. Um, and then I guess another thing kind of related to this you know, where in the world this data is, I'm seeing trends where, let's say in, in healthcare, um, doctors and nurses and executives, they're starting to use really popular 
digital assistants like Alexa and Echo and Google Home, they've, they've taken control or they made the decision themselves to bring those devices in and use them in the provisioning of care to patients or executives when they decide they want to use them uh, to do some research or to check on something. They're using these devices and asking them questions, having (laughs) meetings around them. And so just think, all of the the information that could be up in the Apple Cloud or in the the Google Cloud or, or Amazon through these digital devices and oftentimes they went ahead and used them because they said, well, we had no policy or procedure to prevent us from doing this. So they're bringing Alexa into their offices and asking questions maybe about whatever, um, you know, something, some factual stuff that they're asking about. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I do that at home, (laughs) but I can't imagine doing that at the office. Exactly. So here's a real-life situation. In one hospital system, it was a large hospital system that I was um, helping, they called me and they said, we just found out that there's at least two of our doctors who carry their um, Alexa devices with them when they meet with the patients. And they turn them on, and they actually use them like when the patient says, you know, they have these symptoms. Um, And if the doctor's you know, oftentimes they started asking Alexa, like they use, of course, their own experience, but then they're like, Alexa, have there been any, uh, anyone who has experienced these particular types of symptoms right there with the patient? And they say that makes the patients feel good to know that they are actually looking into this along with, you know, using their experience, but they don't realize that, yeah, all of those conversations are now up in the cloud. And, of course, the hospital system that contacted me because I work with HIPAA so much over the years, they're like, you know, do we have to get a business associate agreement for them now? (laughs) It's like, well, that's part of HIPAA is the provisioning of care. So, yeah, all of a sudden the doctors... uh, created a de facto business associate through their use of IoT devices, you know. Oh, my um, goodness. So, so so what do you recommend really like that? I mean, do you recommend well, that they even do something like that? I mean. Well, ideally, I tell them, if at all possible, tell the doctors, first of all, to stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so you can just stop doing it. You can create some policies and procedures if you actually need to do that. Um, but do a risk assessment for how they're doing things, what they want to do. Actually meet them and, and speak with them because, you you know, what motivated them to do that? Maybe they have a good reason, but maybe they're going way out of bounds with what they're doing with them. So, you know, get to know your doctors and nurses. See how you can maybe accommodate them establish the rules that they must use in order to do that kind of thing. You know, instead of using them when when you're with your patients, maybe you could say, well, if you want to use them, you have to use one that's owned by the hospital. Do it in your office after you've met with the patient. Don't use any patient information when you ask questions about symptoms, you know, things like that, that that removes any association with actual 
um, real patients to whatever the doctor is is basically researching, right? Exactly. Uh, through online information. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I never heard of that. That is just amazing. I mean, it's creative, but it's, it surely exposes these people to, you know, another person or other people listening in and knowing their name and their age and yeah. whatever. You know, I mean, it's just personal identifying them when they're talking to them. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> And you know that people that they are listening because there's been all those reports about the people who listen in on the recordings yeah. for quality assurance or whatever. But here's one more thing that I wanted to mention to you because it's just really concerning to me as well. And this is in schools, you know, like uh, kindergarten through 12, so elementary uh, and secondary schools primarily, but also colleges. I'm really, really concerned with what's going on with the schools because the surveillance capability, the surveillance activities are so huge. So here's here's something that I heard from three different parent groups throughout the country in the past year. Mm. They actually contacted me because they get my monthly tips, some of the people. So they contacted me and they said, um, you know, in our children's school, they um, – they have a lot of athletes, student athletes, and these are really big schools. And they said that this company that does saliva testing came to our school and offered to do free saliva testing of students before and after each game to identify, you know, if there had been a head injury. Um, and they aren't charging them, but they're making us on the consent forms they provided they're making us sign the consent form and telling us that uh, our students can't be part of the team unless they sign to allow this analysis. And so I was looking at the different contracts, and the contracts actually said, you know, I consent to giving um, research company XYZ my child's saliva, and then they will take that uh, analysis and share all of the saliva data with researchers. And that's how, see, this company is making their money. They aren't charging the schools, but they're selling the data, the students' saliva data, to an unlimited, unknown number of research companies that includes extracting their DNA. Yeah, I mean, I was just other- going to say the DNA is going to come up in that saliva. Yes. And when you think about it, just think of these these children who maybe they have all of a sudden now, you know, they have a record of, oh, well, they had head injuries in high school. Yeah. And maybe they maybe they want to apply to certain schools, either for an athletic scholarship or some other scholarship. Maybe the school will somehow get access to that data and it's not out of the realm of you know, happening given how valuable that information would be to schools, colleges, right. or employers, and they see that they've had head injuries. And so they're associated sudden, with their name. It's not even anonymized. Exactly. So now all of a sudden, are they going to be denied not just scholarships, but maybe they'll say, no, we aren't even going to accept you at a school, even though you have outstanding grades, because, you know, with these physical problems you have, right? you might not, you might not last, or maybe, uh, you know, we don't want, maybe employers would see that. Just 
think, Mari, about even yeah, um, or even companies. I was just going to say, if we go back to what you know, Congress is talking about getting rid of the pre-existing conditions, right? You know, mm-hmm. adding yeah. that back in, you know, this is going to be something that's going to affect them the rest of their lives. So exactly. are they give the saliva if they get injured? Is that the thing? But or do they give their saliva just every game or what? what is the deal? Yeah. So the way and these were in three different school systems throughout the U.S., but it was all similar. So they take um, the baseline saliva test from all of the, the student athletes at the beginning of the season and then before um, each game, they have identified a person at each school that's going to take the saliva and collect all the samples before each game, and they label it appropriately with their name and everything else. Um, and then after the game, they take a, a saliva again, wow. and that analysis, they've, they've got this analysis now so where they can actually tell if any type of head injury or other type of traumatic um, injury has occurred during that time that they were playing. And of course, head injuries are severe right now, especially for like CTE, um, the development of that, but in soccer and football and and swimming even. Yeah. So, yeah. So they do it two times, once before the game and once after every single competition. (gasps) So think about all that data. Oh my goodness! And and but, you know, you know I'm people... also thinking about the chain of custody. Who is who's yeah. collecting it and putting the wrong name on it? You know, I mean, we well, see things like that happen all the time. It's not even you know, is it somebody from the company that's doing it, or is it just somebody on the team or a parent? Somebody. Or... Yeah, it's at the <laughs> school. In, in all the cases, they said, "Well, find somebody who's going to not only do that, but they weigh them and." you know, give other details beforehand. Oh so it, in these cases, it, it just happened to be some, you know, student um, volunteer. Who oh, what if they get it mixed test. up? Oh, my gosh. You know, I even worry that, about that when I give my, you know, when I give my blood and stuff. I remember yes. one time it, I went and I had an x-ray and, it, and, I, and I got a copy of it. And it was the wrong one. It had, didn't have yes. my name on it. So, you know, you could just imagine someone who's some student or someone who's not trained. So, you know, you could have your, <laughs> your saliva is marked uh, as mine, you know? I mean, that's ridiculous. Oh, my God. Let alone the consent, you know, informed consent and the, 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 the fact that they have no idea how it's going to be shared or who's going to see it or who's going to buy it. Oh, my goodness. That is crazy. So what did you do? Yes. Well, of course, I was so concerned. So I said, well, let me review your, the contract and what they've said to you. So I did, I did kind of like a mini risk assessment for them. So I identified what I was concerned with from both a security and a privacy viewpoint standpoint, and I documented that. And then I put, you know, what some of the harms were that could come to their students if that data was misused or you know, mistakes are made and so on. And then I put some um, suggestions or recommendations for them just to pass on to the schools to say, you know, it's a great thing if they want to try to prevent, you know, problems with head injuries. But 
why don't you suggest that they also do these things? So I had some recommendations there, and then I had a list of questions for them to to ask the um, the saliva analysis company. So that way they could get more information than what they were given and just, you know, this high-level description of what this company was and and their consent, which really wasn't a consent if they're being forced to sign it in order to stay on the team. Oh, but anyway, wow. beyond what just the consent said. So, you know, I gave them some advice and suggest- suggestions, and uh, I haven't heard from them yet, but I know – that they said that they were going to check into it and and tell me how things went throughout the season. So now we're about at the end of football season for those high schools. So I'm I'm looking forward to hearing from them in December. Well, Rebecca, who knows how many other schools are doing this? This company is probably reaching out all over the country to different yeah. school systems. And I, I used to mm-hmm. sit on a school board and, you know, I would have been up in arms if I heard about this, but I'm sure it's not even going through the school board. It's probably just something that each school is opting into or or mm-hmm. it could be the school system. But what I think this would be really interesting to tell us, some, what are some of the suggestions that if they do want to do this, what kinds of suggestions would you, um, you know, impart to my audience who might be parents dealing with this? Oh, yes. Well, ask them. What data are you taking for my child? You know, exactly. Don't just say the data we need to analyze for head injuries, which is kind of what they said. But say, you know, ask them, what data are you taking? Who are you giving it to? Um, Ask for an exact list because uh, they might be very surprised to find out that they're, they're selling this data to perhaps hundreds of other organizations and because that's the way they're making their money ask them if they can have access to their data so that they can see what the actual values are for the data that they've collected from their students so you know they can use that for their own health care uh, purposes or to correct things right and ask them yeah and ask them how are you going to make sure that the data is accurate so you know, back to what we were talking about before about the collection of it. What what procedures do you have in place to make sure that um, that mistakes aren't made or somebody's being malicious and putting someone else's name on there or your student's name on someone else's? And then ask them, who will this data be shared with? It Will it be shared with universities and colleges? Will it be shared with possible employers or insurance companies. I mean, all those kinds of questions are absolutely necessary in order to provide parents with good insight in what's going on because so many times there's a there are good intents to do this, to collect all this data, but if you don't know how that data is going to be used and shared, you could really have an impact on your child's future. And so Asking as many questions as you can is a good thing. Don't don't feel shy about doing that. I know a lot of times people are like, oh, I don't want to ask too many questions because then people will think, you know, I'm too, you know, I'm just worried about things I shouldn't be. It's right, okay. and the kids, the kids may say, hey, don't, I'm going to get kicked off the team yeah. if you do that to me, Mom. You know, so yeah. that that's another thing. 
So I think this and kind of stuff should go right to the school board. The school board should know yeah. what kinds of things are going know. on. And oh, yeah, gosh. yeah, yeah. I mean, and this know, company um, must really be marketing like crazy. Yes. Yeah. Well, just think about it. I mean, my father was a superintendent of schools for a couple of decades, and and budgets are tight. And so, you know, schools now are under pressure to protect the students from injuries during athletics. So, of course, they want to do something because parents are saying you need to do something, but they don't have money to do it. So all of a sudden you have this company coming in and saying, hey, we'll do this important thing for you, and we aren't even going to charge you. Wow. That sounds very tempting. Yeah, right? you know, I want you know, is there really anything free? Right? You always worried, like, they, what is the pro, quid pro quo? Right? I, if I'm yes. going to give this for free, then what is going to be exchanged? Wow, yes, our students' privacy. I mean, seriously, you're paying with the students' privacy potentially. That's why those questions need to be asked. Well, what a what a way to end. I, I'll tell you, we could go for hours and hours. You have so much important information to share. So I'm just going to have you give your website, and then it's time to go, yes. Rebecca. Yes, well, please, uh, folks, you can visit my site, privacyguidance.com, and you can sign up for my monthly tips there, too, in the box in the upper right corner of the screen. Yeah, and I get those monthly tips, and I love them. And I love oh, you, too, you. Rebecca. So thank you so much for joining us again. You take care, all right? Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at privacypiracy.org. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.